All right, good morning. If you have a Bible this morning, why don't you open it up to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, we'll be looking at verse 10 and following. Acts 17, 10. This morning, we talked a little bit about prayer, engaged in prayer. And uh, prayer falls into that category of things in the Christian life called the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines, things that we are taught to engage in in order to increase our knowledge of who God is and our walk with Christ. There's all kinds of different things, uh, giving, uh, prayer, scripture, uh, fasting, all, all these different things the Lord calls us into for different times and different reasons in order to know him and engage in him more. So as we're studying the book of Acts, there's a place where we can look at a place where one of these disciplines come up that I think will kind of blend in nicely with a look at prayer. And we're going to be looking at prayer a lot over the next year or so, uh, really trying to engage in it and, and teaching ourselves more and more about it. This morning, however, as we study the book of Acts, we find ourselves, uh, Paul has been in Thessalonica teaching the gospel and he's run out of town and he, they flee uh, Thessalonica toward a town called Berea. And in Acts chapter 17, verse 10, here's the story. And the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. All right. So uh, if you look at the map and you look at Greece, the Greek Isles right here, Thessalonica is a port city way up here right there. And Berea is inland just about, say, 20, 50 miles or so, not that far away. So we're right in here. Paul's run there. And the story goes like this. Paul, uh, his common practice, when Paul would go on one of his missionary journeys, when he'd come to a city, he would go into the Jewish synagogues and begin to teach about Jesus and what at that time they called the way, the way of Jesus. So he'd go, into an, he'd go into a Jewish synagogue where he knew people there are very familiar with the Old Testament, uh, or just the Testament at the time, right? So he knew people were very familiar with it, and he would argue from the scriptures regarding Christ. He would say, look, here's the prophecies about Christ. And then he would tell them about the life of Jesus, uh, and then show them all the prophecies and try to talk with them from the scriptures regarding the things about Jesus. And if people were converted in the synagogue, it gave him, if you will, kind of a concentric circle approach to evangelism. Those people could lead him to people they knew, could lead him to the people they knew. And that's how he would systematically work his way through a city. He would go to the places where ideas were uh, put forth, uh, say the marketplace uh, and the Jewish synagogue and reason in different ways. In the Jewish synagogue, of course, he's going to reason from the scriptures. Now, what's interesting here is that this is basically the only place uh, you find this in Acts. Uh, when he comes to Berea and begins to teach them regarding Jesus and the way, they have a unique response. And it says, these Jews received the word with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily 
to see if these things were so. They're taught something new from their Bible. And they open them up every day, going to them eagerly to investigate those things to see if they're true. And the word returns on its purpose. The investment they make, they make into the Bible profits. It, 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 it does its work. How do we know that? They believe. They believe. The word convinces them, it teaches them, and it opens them up to who Jesus was and the Old Testament teachings about the one to come, and they believe the word accomplishes its purpose. As we talk about prayer, as we talk about a life lived with God in prayer and the communion that happens with God, another way that God has given us to commune with him is through his scriptures. Through the word of God given to us as a bedrock of a foundation to know his heart, to know his mind, and to know his purposes for how we are to live and how we are to pursue him. Scriptures are a gift. They guide us into the knowledge of God. Now, probably some of you know this about me. Maybe not everybody knows that I was raised Jehovah's Witness. And because I was raised Jehovah's Witness, one of the things they do is you do a lot of Bible study. But it's really different than anything you've ever done before, right? Uh, we got books that had stories of the Bible and the Old Testament. Like any story in the Old Testament, we had these books that would tell those stories. But I could remember flipping to the New Testament and reading it and just going, this didn't make any sense. I like the stories about walls falling down and stuff. Yeah. Old Testament. Like that. I would just read those stories over and over again. But I'd flip to the New Testament and it, wouldn't, it was foreign to me. It made no sense at all. I mean, none. So when I became a Christian when I was 18 years old, uh, I knew I needed a Bible because I, Jehovah's Witness have their own Bible. Like they have changed parts of it. So I had, I had that and I was going to a Baptist church at the time. Uh, and I saw all the kids in the youth group with an NIV teen study Bible. And I was like, aha, the Baptist Bible. <laughs> don't want one of those either, right? So I need to get rid of this one. I don't need. So I said, I need a neutral Bible. So I went to the mall to... A bookstore in the mall. How many of y'all remember Walden Books? You remember, anybody remember Walden Books? See, if you're too young, you used to have to go to stores to buy books. You had to go to, like you couldn't buy them and have them mailed to you at all. So I went to this, uh, I went to go to a mall and I go in Walden Books and I find their Bible section. I'm like, aha, generic neutral Bibles. Surely these will guide me to the truth, right? So I, I buy one and uh, start reading it. Start reading the New Testament. Start trying to understand it. Did I immediately, is the end of the story me going, and I totally understood every part of it? No, of course not. But just like the Bible says, the Bible says that if the Old Testament is read without faith, there is a veil over your eyes and you can't see it. And when I went back and opened up the New Testament Again, this time, as a believer in Christ, it was like a veil was off my eyes. I didn't, I didn't understand every, every part of it. I didn't, but parts of it that had been foreign to me suddenly made sense. I'll never 
forget my first favorite verse. Like, you know, I've transitioned through many of them. My first favorite verse was Hebrews 4.16. I was just flipping and I found it. Let us approach the throne of God that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That was a foreign concept to me before. Approaching God for mercy and grace. But this time... It's strange at times, it seems, to talk about the Bible, which is inanimate, it's just a book, as though it were living, as though it innately had power. But that's exactly what it is. That's exactly how the Bible talks about itself. In Hebrews chapter 4, the writer of Hebrews says this, for the word of God is living and active Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The word of God is living and active. It's alive. It will work its purposes in us. Part of the reason I know that I at times avoid the Bible, okay, when I am in my personal life avoiding the Bible is when I don't want it to discern my heart. You know, does anybody here know what I'm talking about or am I alone in this? When I don't want to go before the Lord in some ways because I know something's in the heart or I'm hiding part of it and the word, boom, goes straight to it. It exposes us. It opens us up to who God is and what God wants and how God wants to work in us. But in the same way that the Bible uh, invades us in ways and teaches us things about ourselves, it's going to invade us and teach us things about who God is. There is no such thing as wasted time in the scriptures. Um, I love this quote by Martin Luther. He's talking about specifically the book of Romans, but you could apply it to the entire New Testament. He says, it's worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but occupy himself with it every day as the bread of the soul. It can never be read or pondered too much. And the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes, the better it tastes. I can tell you from experience that's true. I hope you can too. I know of times in my life where a scripture that I've known for years and has ministered to me in one way for years or decades even now, I'll reread it and a whole nother level of it is opened. A whole new way God wants me to know him and experience him. A whole new way he wants to nourish my soul with exactly this, the bread of the soul. There are not too many things that can make us more anemic in our life with God than a neglect of prayer and a neglect of the word. There are not many things that could do that. But in some ways, we come to the Bible from different places. Some of us come to the Bible like I did, as a person who came out of Jehovah's Witnessdom and 
was looking at the Bible and totally confused and didn't know what it meant. And as baby as you can get in every way and just opening it up, looking for a verse for God to speak to me from. And some of us come to the Bible having decades of studying it. We come to it in different places, and, and it has always been understood that the, one of the unique natures of the Bible is its ability to minister to people across the broadest spectrum of their experiences. This is a great quote. It says, Scripture is like a river, again, broad and deep, shallow enough here for the lamb to go wading, deep enough there for the elephant to swim. Uh, the guy who said this, I think, is interesting. Uh, it's a guy from the 500s. Uh, I, uh, there's specifically two points I really want to point out in this quote, being serious. It's these two. Um, I just think that... Well, it's pretty self-evident. I'll just move along move along there. You know, you may show up here on a Sunday morning. You may have been coming here for a while. And, and as you come in, you'll listen to a sermon and you'll hear me talk about the Greek, this and history, that, and, and you'll say, I don't, I don't know any of that stuff. How am I ever going to get that out of there? I, I'm just not going to the Bible. I don't know the right book to read. I don't know how to do this or, or that. Or, and the point that the Bible places before us is not one that you need an expert to read it. A child can read it. And the Holy Spirit that imbues its pages is able to talk to each one of us exactly where we are. In uh, 2 Timothy, uh, Paul is writing about the scriptures and he says this, all scripture is breathed out by God profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is Paul writing to his young disciple, Timothy. Paul planted the church at Ephesus, spent most of his time at Ephesus, and when time came uh, for him to go back to Jerusalem, he left Timothy in charge of it. And so he sends back this letter to Timothy, who's now in charge of this Ephesian church. And he says to him, the scripture is essential. It is breathed out by God. It is breathed out by God. And this phrase, breathed out by God, is an interesting one. Okay, because this word, breathed, breath, has some interesting connotations to it. Let me show you an example of it. In John chapter 3, uh, Jesus is speaking with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And uh, Nicodemus is well-versed in the scriptures, obviously, as any Pharisee would be. Uh, Pharisee was the conservative religious sect of Jesus' time. They were passionate about the Old Testament, or uh, as they knew it, the Tanakh. Uh, they studied it passionately, knew it well. Jesus comes to him and says the most outrageous thing Nicodemus could ever think of. He tells him, you must be born again. Now, in Nicodemus' mind, he is everything right. Jewish, male, Pharisee. He's got it all down. And Jesus is telling him, you must be born over. 
You've got to do it again. Nicodemus answers him and says, how can a man enter his mother a second time? Nicodemus is not one for allegory, obviously. He's like, I'm not doing that. Sorry, brother, no, right? And Jesus says to him, not exactly what I meant. And he says this to him, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, what's interesting here is the word, Greek word, pneuma, with a P, P-N, pneuma. Pneuma is the word for spirit, but it is also the word for wind. And if you conjugate it, it's also the word for blows. So you can see pneuma, uh, excuse me, pneuma, pneuma, neo, pneuma, pneuma. This is a play on words. And what Jesus is saying here is exactly what Paul picks up on, is the spirit is the wind and breath of God. But even more so, when you read Paul's comment saying the scripture is the breath of God, he means also, can mean the spirit of God. And there's, you, you don't have to go very far to catch Paul's imagery from Genesis chapter 2 where God brings Adam to life. Do you remember how God brought Adam to life? In Genesis chapter 2 it says this, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. No less, no less than Adam, a pile of dirt that came to life because of the breath of God, the Bereans came to life through the influence of the scriptures. No less. They were dead. And through the scriptures, God breathed life into them. In Christ. No less. Same thing. That's the power the Bible wants us to understand about itself. It is the breath of God. It is life. You can live about three months without food. Some of us more. (laughs) You can live three days without water. You got three minutes without air. If the Bible is not breathing into you, your death, as it is, is approaching fast. Uh, I had asthma as a kid. Uh, And by I had asthma as a kid, I don't mean, oh, I need an inhaler. I'm talking throat scratching screeching, get him to the hospital, give him as much adrenaline as possible, get him, hope he lives through it, right? That was the kind of asthma attack I came on at random times when I exercised too hard, playing, you know, whatever sport, when I didn't sleep well enough. If I ever came into contact with a cat of any kind, 
which is why I hate them to this day so very passionately, right? I'd feel the tickle in the chest and I'd start running home because I didn't have long. I knew. I was trained by it. Were that we that trained. Were that we that trained that when life begins to grind us up, our first reaction is to go to the Lord through his word, through prayer, seeking his spirit because his spirit is our life. This is why Jesus says your life is not your possessions. The presence of the Lord is your life. That's why Jesus, when the devil comes to him, says, I don't need bread. I need the word. It's life. Jesus tells a story, the parable of the sower. You remember it? He goes, he casts the seed out. Some of it lands on the path. Some of it lands in the good soil. Some of it lands in the stony soil. You know, blah, 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 blah. It grows up. Do you remember when he explained that parable, what he says about it? He says this about it. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God, which is instructive because it's the part of the story that's alive. It's the part of the story that breathes the life. It's the live part. No, there is no way we can be too biblical. You may have seen uh, that Knoxville was voted the most biblical city or from some sort of poll, the most biblical city in America. So congratulations to us, right? But all I will tell you is that without it in our daily lives, you are suffocating. You may not feel it yet, but you will. You most assuredly will. The Bible confirms to us, it affirms to us that it is from God. It is his message to us. The Old Testament says that it is from God over 2,600 times. Things like, thus saith the Lord, or the Lord instructed me to say these things. 2,600 times. That is one out of every 10 verses. You think God had a point to get across? The New Testament quotes the Old Testament over 260 times and alludes to it or indirectly references it over 1,300 times. That's one every six verses. You know how a diamond can only cut a diamond? Only the word of God can interpret the word of God. They're built on each other for a reason because they are a whole, the breath of God. The foundation for me and you. I don't know about you, but I find times in my life where life has ground me down. And the other disciplines that I have engaged in in my life to know the Lord have begun to fail. I feel like prayer hits the ceiling and comes back at me mocking. You ever had that feeling? Anybody else here with me? 
I feel like my Christian fellowship is failing me in some way or another, either real or imagined. And then something has come up and just crushed me. And there have been moments in my life where the only thing I had was one verse or one chapter or one concept taught to me from the word. That was it. And I have found over and over it is enough. I mean, how do you know that whatever comes to you be it a blessing or a pain is from God and for your good. How do you know that? Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. When I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, was I happy? Overjoyed, I celebrated, I danced. No, it's mournful. Did I know how it was all going to play out? No, I still don't. Did I know it was for my good? Yeah. Even In me, in that moment, the word accomplished its purpose. It divided truth from falseness because the truth is my sinful emotions sprang forward. Look at all the things I've done for you, God. I gave up the life I wanted to live for you, God. You you put me in Knoxville. That's how I felt at the time. I'm just being honest. I'm trying to be, you know, transparent up here. Those are false. The word said, this is for your good. This is for your good. Now, one of those two things is false, either my emotion or the word. And I have always found it to be me. Is God angry at my emotion or, or wrath-filled or anything? No, no. That you, we know the gospel. The, the price for sin is paid by Christ. But the word taught me, instructs me. How do you know, how do you know God loves you? How do you know? Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not once we got it all together, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Luther has a quote on this verse I love. I think it's great. He says, I love it when the devil reminds me I'm a sinner because it is sinners God came to save. How do you know that God is with you when sin comes for you? When your heart begins to betray you? When your flesh begins to betray you, either in a flash or because of your planning, how do you know God is with you? First Corinthians ten thirteen. no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. 
But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. How do you know God has called you to live his life, to pursue it, to place your energies toward being a disciple of his name? Hebrews 12, 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. I could go on and on and on and on and on. I'll end with this. The Lord has established his word for us. You know the longest chapter in the Bible is about the Bible? Psalm 119. What I can assure you is that in this life, you and I will bloom, fade, turn to dust, and blow away. But the word will stand forever. Invest yourself in that which is a tower. Invest yourself in that which doesn't fade. The scripture is God's breath to us. So breathe deep. Would you stand and pray with me? As we close our time together, some of our elders and their spouses would be here to pray with you. The Bible tells us if we have any concern or care to pray to the Lord and to pray with our elders, they would love to pray with you about any concern you have, especially this morning. If you want to hear about Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord, who has come to forgive our sins and bring us as an adopted child into God's kingdom, our elders would love to pray with you about the salvation the Bereans saw. They would love to pray with you about anything. We go to the Lord in prayer. But right now, let's go together as a church. Father God, we thank you for the word that you have given us. We praise you that it will never fade, it will never spoil. Everything in it is true and will be true forever. My circumstances will lie to me. They will tell me things are more powerful than you or more important. Your word will constantly call me back. It is an infallible guide to you. God, please bless us by showing us the spirit in the word and confirming it with the spirit in our hearts. Let them call to one another and sing songs to one another. We praise you for your beauty and your truth and giving us a firm place to stand while we wait your return. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.